with Democrats in control of Congress, their first order of business is the politics of revenge, impeaching a president who's no longer president. Insane, right? Well, mostly it's just petty and small and a colossal waste of time. But you know what? That is the only skill set of people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Neither one of them have ever held a real job, ever. You think I'm kidding? Just Google it. Look at their resumes. All their adult lives, they've lived off the public trough, pretending to be important and cultivating power. In fact, they're obsessed with power. It's an addiction, really. Shrinks will tell you all about it, a poisonous personality disorder marked by an uncommon level of ruthlessness. And power trippers, as they're known, always have a scapegoat, someone they vilify and try to destroy. That is their ultimate satisfaction. It somehow compensates for their own deep-seated lack of self-worth. It doesn't matter to Pelosi and Schumer that their impeachment fantasy will never result in a conviction of Donald Trump or that it's an assault on the Constitution. That's not the point. To them, that's utterly irrelevant. When it comes to the politics of revenge, there's only one goal, exercising sheer power to achieve a vindictive end. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Jarrett, and welcome to The Brief. By now, you've all heard me talk about my pillow and how it's literally changed my life. I met Mike Lindell. He fit me for my very own my pillow, and I haven't stopped raving about it since then. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. Made in the USA. If you don't have a my pillow or know somebody who doesn't, now is the time because there's a limited time that Mike is offering his premium my pillows. Yes, the one that started it all for his lowest price ever. You can get a queen size premium my pillow regularly sixty nine ninety eight for only twenty nine ninety eight. That's a forty dollar savings. Kings are only five dollars more. Buy now, and Mike will extend his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener's Square. There, you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all of the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream Bed Sheets, the MyPillow Mattress Topper, and MyPillow Towel Sets. Or call 800-605-8765 and use promo code GREG, G-R-E-G-G. Hello and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. In the Roman Catholic Church, St. Jude is venerated as the patron saint of desperate cases and lost causes. Move over, St. Jude. Democrats in Congress are the new patron saints of lost causes. Their impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate is beyond desperate because they know that conviction is mathematically impossible. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer conceded as much 
when he suggested that his colleagues could still censure former President Donald Trump if, and Schumer really meant when, the Senate fails to reach the threshold 67 votes required to convict. The question is, though, there was a lot of conversation last week from Senator Kane and others, seeing the writing on the wall as to the votes that maybe if he's not convicted, do a censure for the president. Are you open to that as an alternative if he's not convicted? I think the president should be tried. I hope he will vote to be convicted. Anything past that um, is something we can discuss. So there it is. The arithmetic is a foregone conclusion. And Chuck Schumer well knows it. Which is why he's already thrown in the towel and started chatting up censure as a post-trial retaliation. It is not. Censure has always been a banal and vacuous gesture. A parking ticket carries more gravity. And Donald Trump couldn't care less about a non-binding rebuke from Democrats after enduring four long years of daily harassment and reprobation. The inexorable outcome of the Senate trial, set to begin the week of February 8th, was ordained the very moment that 45 Republicans voted to dismiss the case against Trump on the ground that the Senate, quote, lacks jurisdiction over the 45th president because he holds no public office from which he can be removed. This all but ensured a breezy acquittal. Democrat Senator Tim Kaine readily admitted it. It kind of sounds like an admission that you very likely, and I mean, this is what's apparent from what we're hearing, that you won't get to 67 votes. Do you think it's harder for Republicans, or and are you trying to make it harder for them to, you know, to, is it harder for them to say no to a censure than it is for impeachment? Um, I would say, Brianna, it's not an admission, but it's a recognition. The vote that took place yesterday was extremely clarifying. Um, as you've reported, um, Senator Paul put a question to the body and basically said it's unconstitutional to have an impeachment trial and convict someone who is a former office holder. Now, legal scholars actually have a wide range of opinions on that, and I actually think the best scholarship suggests that you can have such a trial. But 45 out of 50 Republicans yesterday voted in support of the Paul proposition that it is unconstitutional to impeach a former office holder. Um, I think all of us in the chamber understood that once you voted that it's unconstitutional to try a former office holder, the evidence is unlikely to change anyone's mind. If that's the case, we're at least 12 votes short of the two-thirds needed for impeachment. So we have to sort of grapple with, if we want accountability, how do we want this to end? Do we want it to end with Trump acquitted again, or do we want to have it end with um, Senate fines that uh, censors President Trump, finds that it was an insurrection and possibly bars him from holding office? Before their vote to dismiss the case against Trump, some of the GOP side must have actually read Article 2 of the Constitution, which provides that the president, not former president who is now a private citizen, no, the president shall be removed from office on impeachment and conviction. That's what the Constitution says, verbatim. Yet Democrats somehow maintain this tortured illusion that a person can be removed from an office he no longer holds. 
Thankfully, the framers did not pen the Constitution with disappearing ink. They meant what they wrote. They memorialized it in such plain language even a simpleton could absorb it. Of course, this means there are at least 55 senators who are severely challenged when it comes to reading comprehension. Or maybe they just don't care about that pesky little document called the U.S. Constitution. So against this backdrop, the impending impeachment trial in the Senate is little more than a farce. It was rendered so by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her fellow Democrats, who abandoned all semblance of due process by rushing to impeach in the House without ever holding a single solitary hearing. They denounced Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection. That's the article of impeachment. But wait, they never bothered to present any evidence before casting their predictable votes to impeach. They had the hats on of the army of MAGA, which I refer to as make America grieve again. We have been asked to turn a blind eye to the criminality, corruption, and blatant disregard to the rule of law by the tyrant president we have in the White House. The president of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. Racism played a direct role in this incitement. The president's violent rhetoric is always at its most fevered pitch when he is talking about the civil rights and civic aspirations of black Americans and other minority communities. If we fail to remove a white supremacist president who incited a white supremacist insurrection, it's communities like Missouri's first district that suffer the most. He is capable of starting a civil war. He must be impeached. He must be stopped now. What Pelosi and her sycophants are doing is very much like a prosecutor at trial, skipping the part about proof and demanding that the jury vote quickly to convict based only on the government's lies and traducements, while the accused and his counsel sit there bound and gagged, helpless to mount their able defense. There is an obvious manifest reason why Nancy Pelosi and her Confederates chose to deprive Trump of his due process rights. And here it is. They had no credible and incriminating evidence to present. Zero. None. When they voted to impeach, they knew the full content of Trump's speech at the National Mall on January 6th. He encouraged the crowd to, quote, peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. At no point did Trump advocate violence or destruction of property. The exculpatory evidence is right there on the videotape. You can watch it yourself on YouTube or any video platform. Did Trump express his views about the election passionately? Of course he did. It was typical of all the speeches Donald Trump gives. But ask yourself this question. What effective political speech does not embrace emotional rhetoric designed to motivate the audience? And in fact, let's take a moment. Examine some of Nancy Pelosi's own bombast, courtesy of any search engine. It'll take you just a minute. 
Over the past four years, Pelosi has publicly accused Donald Trump of racism, fascism, treason, sedition, bribery, and causing mass deaths. I'm wondering what you'd be willing to trade if you gave Trump the wall. Nothing. In my view, it's immoral, expensive, ineffective, and not something that people do between countries. Um, but in any event, uh, it happens to be like a manhood issue for the president. The, the president is making lawlessness a virtue in our country. Make America, you know, this hat, make America white again. You're asking me about the appropriateness of the actions of this president of the United States? So completely inappropriate in so many ways uh, that it's almost a given. It's like a child who comes in with mud on their pants or something. It, that's the way it is. They're outside playing. That's what it. He comes in with doggy do on his shoes, and everybody who works with him has that on their shoes too. No, I just wonder what the Russians have politically, personally, or financially on President Trump. Because why the question of the United States put Putin on a pedestal and, 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 and diminish the greatness so of America? And perhaps misrepresenting the American people could be cause for impeachment. If so, there's plenty of grounds uh, right now uh, with the current president. We all agree that President Trump's decision to end DACA... Uh, is a despicable act of political cowardice. Shift attention away. You notice that every time something gets hot, he changes the subject. He changes the subject. He's an illusionist. He doesn't know right from wrong, true from false, American patriotism from white nationalism. Uh, you call them alt-right. I think they call themselves that. I call them Nazis, white supremacist, uh, nas white nationalist. What they are doing is... is uh, endangering people. The president has emboldened them and they're going to go around the country to other places as well. Although this morning he had three tweets, I was thinking he was more of a creature that stalked the night, that these things just came out at night like a vampire. And they tweeted these things, but now it's spread to the morning. So uh, let me think for a while. Trump care, Trump care is a moral monstrosity that will devastate seniors and hardworking Americans. Almost every school child in America knows more about the climate challenge than apparently the president of the United States. He lives in a fact-free zone. Donald Trump is a job loser. The president's fitness for office is something that is being called into question. I'm very worried about his fitness. If Hillary Clinton had won, I might have gone home. But with hmm, Donald Trump in the White House, with a Republican majority in both houses, no way. The, the president, again, has a 10-year blind spot and whatever obligation. I don't know what the Russians have on President Trump, whether it's personal, whether it's political, whether it's financial. I don't know what it is. You think they have something on them. But there's no other explaining why this president of the United States is such a, a handmaiden of Putin. Forget about the truth of the matter, she alleged. Were Pelosi's wild accusations incendiary? Absolutely. In many ways, Donald Trump's words on January 6th seemed to pale by comparison. Now, look, I have repeatedly argued that Trump's remarks that day were foolhardy. They were driven by a mistaken belief that Congress somehow had the authority to reverse the election result as the electoral votes were being counted in the Capitol building. That counting, in truth, was just a ministerial act. 
the only time that Congress has a role is when there's an electoral tie. That's it. That's the law. That's the Constitution. But a bunch of knuckleheads somehow persuaded Donald Trump that there was so much widespread fraud in the election that Congress could take action to fix it. I was on record throughout the election contest in November arguing that Trump had every right to exercise legal challenges in courts of law, and he did that. That was his only recourse, period. After weeks of trying, those challenges universally failed. When that happened, I argued that it was over. Trump lost. He should concede the election gracefully, call up Joe Biden on the telephone, congratulate him, and offer his support for the newly elected president. That's the right thing to do. And frankly, that's what the Constitution says we should do. Once the Electoral College met and tallied the votes that made Biden the 46th president, Donald Trump had a moral duty to publicly support a peaceful transition of power beginning at noon on January 20th. But Trump accepted bad advice. He continued to represent to his supporters that Congress had the power when it met on January 6th to alter the result based on allegations of fraud, not proof of fraud, accepted as such by the federal courts. So, however mistaken Donald Trump's opinion may have been, he was nevertheless entitled to express it publicly, just as Democrats did four years earlier in 2017, when they too mounted a campaign to contest the electoral vote in Congress. In America, we call this free speech. It is a protected and cherished right under the First Amendment. You have the right to be wrong in your expressed beliefs. It's neither a crime nor an impeachable offense. So Trump delivered his speech on January 6th, encouraging the crowd to support the effort by Republicans to challenge the electoral vote count in Congress. In the last two decades, you should know this, Democrats have tried the exact same maneuver three different times. But here's the important part about all of this. There is no evidence to be found anywhere in Trump's address on January 6th that supports the definition of incitement. And this is where the law lends clarity. In her floor speech on January 13, 2021, shortly before the House voted to impeach, Nancy Pelosi posed to her colleagues a carefully crafted rhetorical question as her primary indictment of Donald Trump. And here is what she said. Were his words an insurrectionary mob, a high crime and misdemeanor? That's what she said. Take a close listen to those words. You'll hear Nancy Pelosi stumbling and fumbling over her words because, well, she always has trouble expressing herself intelligently, even when she's reading verbatim the script that's right there in front of her, which is what she was doing. So here it is. We know that we face enemies of the Constitution. We know we experience the insurrection that violated the sanctity of the people's capital and attempted to overturn the duly recorded will of the American people. And we know that the President of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. 
He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. The president must be impeached, and I believe the president must be convicted by the Senate, a constitutional remedy that will ensure that the republic will be safe from this man who was so resolutely determined to tear down the things that we hold dear and that hold us together. Those insurrectionists were not patriots. They were not part of a political base to be catered to and managed. They were domestic terrorists, and justice must prevail. But they did not appear out of a vacuum. They were sent here, sent here by the president with words such as a cry to fight like hell. Words matter. Truth matters. Accountability matters. With a plea to all of you, Democrats and Republicans, I ask you to search your souls and answer these questions. Is the president's war on democracy in keeping with the Constitution? Were his words an insurrectionary mob a high crime and misdemeanor? Do we not have the duty to our oath to do all we constitutionally can to protect our nation and our democracy from the appetites and ambitions of a man who has self-evidently demonstrated that he is a vital threat to liberty, to self-government, and to the rule of law? Let's examine that statement very closely. Pelosi cleverly contrived a non sequitur. She conflated two separate, very different actions to imply that Trump was responsible for what the mob did. In fact and truth, the rioters committed crimes Donald Trump did not, and Nancy Pelosi certainly knows this. Nowhere in Trump's speech did he advocate or direct imminent harm as the law of incitement demands. Moreover, incitement requires proof of the speaker's specific intent to cause violence. There is no evidence whatsoever that Trump intended for the mob to launch an assault on the Capitol building, breach security, attack police, threaten lawmakers, riot, vandalize, loot, and commit rampant acts of criminality. None of those malign acts I just described can be reasonably inferred from any of Trump's spoken words. Pelosi's deceptive question was designed to convict Trump by association, not causation, because she knows there is a dearth of evidence that Trump was the proximate cause of the crimes perpetuated by the mob. This is why Pelosi summarily dispensed with a hearing in the House and its mandated presentment of evidence. She knew that if there was a fair hearing, Democrats had no real evidence to present in support of their incitement allegation in the single article of impeachment. Republicans or Trump's defense counsel would counter by playing the videotape of Trump's speech and then ask a very simple question. Where in the speech did Trump use words that constitute incitement to commit violence or destruction of property? Where? And the answer is quite simple. Nowhere. And Nancy Pelosi knew all of this, so she abandoned her own rules, rules that Democrats had previously approved for all impeachments, and Pelosi announced there would be no hearing. Like the prosecutor who skipped the part of proof, Pelosi ordered a precipitous vote 
to engineer her sham impeachment. Bereft of any conscience, Pelosi stripped Trump of the inherent and indispensable right to defend himself. Here's the truly ironic and hypocritical part. Pelosi is now demanding that the Senate do what she refused to do, present evidence by calling witnesses. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Let's hear the testimony of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who revealed this week that she received text messages warning of the expected violence one week before the riots. A week before, one week before, the week prior to the insurrection, I started to get text messages that I needed to be careful. And that in particular, I needed to be careful about the 6th. And those text messages came from other members of Congress. Um, not They were not threats, but they were other members saying that they knew. Hold on. Wait a minute now. How is it possible for Trump to have incited violence that was planned before he delivered his speech at the Ellipse? That illogic must have escaped AOC when she voted to impeach Donald Trump. And while we're at it, let's call some other witnesses, law enforcement officials. Some of them have already stated publicly that, well, they screwed up because they knew in advance that some of the violence was planned. Even the FBI reportedly knew that the attack on the Capitol building was pre-planned. One of the big questions for investigators has been whether or not whether uh, the people who attacked the Capitol, uh, whether this was a, a just a, a mob that just got out of control or whether there was planning. And we're learning from people we're talking to uh, familiar with the investigation that they are getting indications, uh, some evidence that they've seen that indicates uh, that there was some level of planning. They've noticed uh, from looking at surveillance cameras, from looking at some of the weaponry that showed up, that there were people who were at the ellipse where there was a Trump rally earlier in the day. Uh, some people left the scene of that rally early and appeared to have gone to retrieve weapons that then turned up at the scene of, of the riot at the Capitol. Based on everything the FBI has learned, uh, it was not some sort of spontaneous decision by a bunch of, quote, protesters to go up to Capitol Hill and, and storm Capitol Hill. This was all planned out. I want to get to this issue of coordination and premeditation because, Elaine, this is really the leading edge of this investigation. And for the first time today, we heard the U.S. attorney say that he believes the pipe bombs are connected to the rioters and that it was a diversionary tactic. So right at the height of this, between 1245 and 115, when President Trump is speaking, you have the first group pushing onto the Capitol complex. The first pipe bomb is reported at the RNC headquarters here in Washington. Then at 115, the second is reported at the DNC. And the U.S. attorney said today he thought they were diversionary, which means they were an effort to pull first responders away from the Capitol 
at the、mm. very time frame that they were breaching onto the Capitol, so it would further weaken security at that site. And all of this goes to—I'm sorry, it's a long answer. It all goes to the idea no, of premeditation and coordination、right. among individuals. And now to that chilling new report that there was an FBI internal report the day before the siege warning of a violent war at the Capitol. New reporting that the FBI received a very specific warning before the riot. Let's bring in CBS's Jeff Pegues, who's been reporting all day. Good evening, Jeff. Nora, that FBI notice warned of war at the Capitol, but for some reason, security wasn't stepped up there to meet the challenge that that attack would pose. Investigators are looking into.、Um, How much of this was a spontaneous attack on the Capitol? Obviously, to agree to a degree, some of the people in the Capitol、uh, were there, incited from what they heard、uh, at the mall. And how much of it was was planned? How much of this was、um, strategized ahead of time? People wandering around exercising their First Amendment rights don't bring ropes and ladders and sledgehammers to a spontaneous event. This was a planned assault, as if going after a castle. There is no evidence that Donald Trump's words incited an insurrection, as the article of impeachment alleges. Just the opposite. There is only evidence that Trump's speech does not remotely come close to meeting the definition of incitement. And Nancy Pelosi knows this. Which is exactly why she padded the impeachment article with a bunch of other extraneous allegations about how Trump is guilty of incitement because, well, during the two months before the Capitol riot, you know, he ginned up discontent by stating that there was widespread fraud. Lawyers do this kind of thing all the time whenever they have a really weak case. They try to buttress their lame accusations with. Irrelevant crap, and that's what Pelosi did. Look at page three, beginning at line three of the article of impeachment. It reads: President Trump repeatedly issued false statements, asserting that the presidential election results were the product of widespread fraud. Okay, really? That's incitement. Where's the imminent violence required for incitement? Where is Trump specifically directing criminal behavior? Well, it's not there. But since Democrats control the House, and an unscrupulous person like Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House, she and her minions can really write anything they want in an article of impeachment and pretend that it's legitimate. She doesn't actually have to sustain a credible case. She doesn't have to support facts with real evidence and meet the requirements of the law when accusing someone of incitement. If Nancy Pelosi was forced to present her case before a judge schooled in the law, she'd be held in contempt of court for leveling frivolous accusations unsupported by the law. And that, at its core, is the problem with impeachment. It's a political act masquerading as a legal proceeding, and because it's political, it's corruptible. There are no standards. It's a free-for-all. You can impeach a president for jaywalking or spitting on the sidewalk, or frankly, you can impeach a president for nothing at all. You can simply invent or conjure up out of thin air any. Imaginable offense that is no offense at all. 
Sadly, the only framework the founders gave us in the Constitution was the vague and amorphous term, bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanors. Now, those do sound like legal terms. Indeed, they are legal terms. But over the years, liberal legal scholars and politicians alike have watered it down so that now it means anything at all. They've argued that non-crimes are impeachable offenses, and members of Congress have adopted that nonsense. Look at the first impeachment of Donald Trump a year ago. Pelosi and Democrats never alleged a crime or misdemeanor in their articles of impeachment. Gerald Ford, our 38th president, was brutally honest when he described what impeachment was all about when he was still a member of the House. He famously said, an impeachable offense is whatever a majority of the House of Representatives considers it to be at a given moment in history. Now, what Ford said, he meant in a derogatory sense, but he was right. It can be misused and abused by corrupt politicians for purely partisan reasons. Pelosi and Schumer have made it the centerpiece in their politics of revenge. In my last column, I called this a counterfeit impeachment. But you know what? It's far worse than that. It's an egregious assault on the principle of fundamental fairness that has long been the foundation of our democratic institutions. How can Americans have faith or trust in a Congress so riven with bias and blinded by hatred that it's willing to contort the meaning of the Constitution to achieve an illegitimate and vindictive end. Our founding fathers, no strangers to corrupt politicians and unjust governments, would be ashamed. They feared people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, elected officials so obsessed or intoxicated with their own power that any vindictive end justifies their ruthless means. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for joining me.